0: I think some stories are so well known to us in the Bible in particular that we interpret the parts by what we know of how the story ends. And maybe one of those stories that we do that so easily with is the story of uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. You can read about it in Exodus 14 and Exodus 15. But just to refresh your memory and to try and maybe put it into a context uh, to help us see the parts of the story without jumping ahead to the victorious conclusion. Just imagine for a moment that you were a family, um, multiple generations a slave in Egypt, and all you'd known was hardship and misery. All you'd known is that you didn't belong in this place, that you had a home somewhere else, but it was so distant with no real sense of ever being able to find it again. Imagine that all of a sudden this Moses character that you had heard of being a privileged uh, child growing in Pharaoh's um, courts, that All of a sudden, after years of disappearance and years of rumours, Moses turns up again, now an old man at 80 years of age, and starts telling stories about how God had called you as a people, this slave nation of Israelites, to go back home again. Um, I really don't know how we would react in that situation. How would we respond? Maybe hope? that that would be the case, but maybe the reality of it, would, you would look around and think, how could that ever happen? And then, of course, made famous by now uh, musicals and uh, motion pictures, there are the plagues of Egypt and God moves in powerful ways, strikes the nation of Egypt, and eventually, after this Passover feast that God initiates your family packs its few things and following the instructions, leaves hurriedly. You follow Moses out into the desert, excited, wondering at all that you'd seen, hopeful for what was in store. And after days of wandering in the desert, you end up camped on the impenetrable shores of the Red Sea. No way forward. The only way would be to go back through the desert. And then all of a sudden, word comes in that the Egyptian pharaoh and all the armies of Egypt are now bearing down from the desert and you're trapped. There is no way forward. And in all reality, there is no return. You know that death awaits. You know that even if you survive the onslaught, Pharaoh would put you in a position worse than you had ever been before. How would you have responded? Now, of course, we very quickly get to the end of Exodus 14 and Exodus 15, and we see the miraculous story of the, the waters being parted. But if you were camped there that night, you wouldn't know that that's what was going to happen. All that lay before you would seemingly no options, nothing good anyway, only death and destruction. You were in a severe crisis. You were facing uh, uncertainty. How would you have responded? Well, oh, the Israelites responded by crying out against Moses and crying out against God asking the sorts of questions that they seem reasonable. They called out, Moses, why did you bring us out here? Was it just so that we could die in the desert and not back in Egypt? They didn't know, of course, what God knew. Even Moses didn't know. Not until God had said to Moses, Moses, I want you to go down and tell the people, your job is to stand quietly and my job is to bring salvation. It's an amazing story. But I think it's a great picture, isn't it, of the sorts of circumstances that sometimes we face in our life. We sometimes encounter scenarios or circumstances in our relationships or maybe our job or our family or whatever it might be and it feels like we're in that same situation where we're standing on the brink of a shore, a great sea spreads out before us, there is no way forward that we can see and there is impending doom coming down upon us from behind. We look at our options and we can't see a way to be able to move from where we are. We are in crisis. When that happens, and it happens to so many, this is a time where we can sing the songs of lament. There's a perfect one for this, and it's Psalm 77. Now, like so many of the Psalms, it's broken up into um, sections and they're sections which are identified in the text by the word "sealer." So if you grab your Bible, Psalm 77, turn to it, and I've got mine here, and we're going to try and uh, show you a few things. Uh, Psalm 77, and if you look down to about the end of verse 3, you will see uh, the word sealer. Um Let me just make sure I've got the right... Colour here, sealer. Now, if you go down a little further, you will find it again at the end of verse 9, sealer. Then, further along again, end of verse 15, sealer. And then the end of the psalm comes in verse 20. There's no sealer written there, but it's implied. It's the end of the psalm. Now, the word sealer. Is um, simple in some ways, it just simply means stop and consider or pause and reflect. And they were kind of a, a moment where the singers of these songs um, would get to the end of, like, maybe we could consider them a verse, and before hurrying on to the chorus or hurrying on to the bridge or repeating it, they simply paused in the song. And the pause was not just for dramatic effect, it was to stop and consider. And that's what I want us to do this morning. So let's read together Psalm 77. And we're just going to read to the first sealer. Now, this is a song of lament, a psalm written to help us lament in times of crisis. And we're going to see that. Interestingly enough, the, the different elements of lament that we have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. So turning to God, bringing your complaint, asking for help, and then fourthly, choosing to trust. Line up in Psalm 77 with the sealers. So let's just read the first section, which is turn to God. This is a turning to God. Psalm 77 Reading from verse one, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version um, is the one that you can see me referring to today. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate... My spirit faints. Seela, pause and reflect. Now, there's a couple of things that I want you to reflect on in this little section. This is the turning to God, and we can see that in verse 1. Uh, so have a look at it. I cry aloud to God. So, straight away, we know the psalmist, who in this case is uh, Asaph. Asaph, he's, he wrote quite a number of the Psalms. Asaph says, listen, I'm going to cry aloud, but I'm going to cry aloud to God. In, in whatever crisis it is that he's facing or that the nation is facing, there's this real sense that he's turning his attention to God and saying, I cry to you. He cries aloud. Now, there's something really significant to notice in this psalm, that's a little bit different to some of the other songs of lament that we have looked at so far in this series. It comes in the end of verse 1 again. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, he repeats himself, and he will hear me. Right from the outset, we can start to see here that Asaph's concerns, he's going to get to his complaints shortly, but right from the outset, the crisis that Asaph is facing is not that he doesn't think God listens. When we looked at Psalm 22 last week, that was one of the complaints. God, our our prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling. You're not even listening. Asaph knows that God is listening. I'm going to cry aloud to you, God, and you will hear me. He will hear me. We get this picture that it's not so much that God isn't hearing, but God is enacting. That's, that seems to be where this distress is coming from. God, you, you're, you hear me, but you're not acting. I can't see a way forward. I don't have a solution to this problem that I'm facing. Verse 2, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night... My hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. And when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. This is a soul in crisis, in torment almost. And he knows that God hears him and yet he continues and he persists that sense of all the night. My my arms are outstretched in prayer. My hands are outstretched in prayer. And I don't weary. I am going time and time and time again to the Lord. But my soul refuses to be comforted. I wonder if your prayer life has ever been like that. I know mine has the times when I've persistently gone back to the Lord and I've had this great crisis of uncertainty in front of me and praying and praying and saying, Lord, I know you hear me, but I still don't know what to do. And it can feel wearying. It can feel that comfort is far away from you. And that's exactly where Asaph finds himself. In whatever circumstances it was that he was facing, He's seeking God and he knows God can hear him. And yet nothing seems to change around him. He's still uncertain about the way forward. He still doesn't know what the right thing to do is in this crisis. It's a very different pain to feeling as though God isn't listening at all. To know that God is listening, but you still don't have the answers that you long for. So the first element is turn to God. And that's the first sealer. The second section is bring your complaint. That's, we know that from our, our lament structure, bring your complaint. So from verses four down to verse nine, Asaph starts to shift from just calling out to God and saying, listen, I'm, I'm persisting in prayer. And now he's actually going to bring His complaint. So let's read it together just all the way through and then make a couple of observations because it finishes with that word, sealer. Verse 4 You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart and then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favourable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger Shut up his compassion. There's a whole series of questions there, and they're, they're bracketed by that word sealer. Pause and reflect. This is very much where Asaph brings his complaint to God. It begins by that sense of did you see it back in verse 4? You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Asaph longs to sleep even, find rest in sleep, and yet he feels like he can't. You know, sleepless nights of tossing and turning, some great crisis in front of you, great uncertainty, maybe trouble seems to be looming, you don't know the way forward, and it begins to affect your sleep, doesn't it? Troubled nights, unable to even express maybe the the concern or the worry or the fear that rests within. And verse 5, he moves on, he says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. And so now there's a sense of remembering that Asaph says. Listen, this is my current circumstances. I'm I'm anxious and sleepless. And his mind starts to shift backwards. And he says, I'm going to remember. And there's a very interesting phrase here in verse 6. Let me remember my song in the night. This is a very different picture that he's remembering, not one of anxiety and sleeplessness, of groaning and and arms outstretched in prayer. Now he's remembering a song in the night. Better times, times where he was enjoying life, enjoying maybe his intimacy with God in prayer even, And he says, I'm I'm remembering a time when I would sing in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. He wants to reflect on that. He wants to centre himself on that. But he can't help but start to compare his experiences from the past with what he's experiencing now. And that's where these questions start to spill out of. His spirit makes a diligent search. And then verse 7. Down to verse 9, we see a series of questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favourable? Asaph's wondering, how long will this last? Is God withholding something from me? Is it that this will always be the way it's going to be now? The next question in verse 8, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Now, what's interesting to see in that has his steadfast love. Asaph is even recognising that God says about himself, listen, my love endures from generation to generation. It will never, ever end. And yet Asaph's caught wondering, well, maybe it has. Maybe this steadfast love has forever ceased. Are his promises at an end for all time? Can you see where Asaph's heart is? This sense of, I can't see a way forward. A crisis has occurred and I don't know how to get out of this. Verse 9, has God forgotten to be what? to be gracious? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? In doubt now in our Asa's mind is the character of God, the attributes of God. He knows they're true. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said, in this section of the lament, we are so prone as Christians in particular to, correct the theology of the lamenter. That we would say to Asaph, Asaph, of course his steadfast love hasn't ceased. That's what steadfast love is. Has God forgotten to be gracious? No, he is gracious. It's not just something that he does. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? No, God shows us his compassion. He pours out compassion and we're so prone to running to this section and correcting poor theology, as we think. And yet, if we're honest, aren't these the sorts of questions that we asked? As we face crisis, as we face hardship and uncertainty, and we we look and we think, God, I thought I knew you, but now I'm not so sure. We bring our complaints to God. But then the next section is ask for help. It starts in verse 10 goes down to verse 15 where we find another sealer, another stop and consider. So let's read it and again make a couple of observations. Verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people's. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. This is a section where there's a asking for help. I know it looks a little different to some of the ones that we've looked at already. Less clear, less upfront where he says, God, come down and smash their teeth or God, come and break their bones Uh, Those sort of really harsh things that some of the lamenting psalmists have asked. But here, I think implied in what the psalmist Asaph is asking for, he's asking, Lord, do what you've done before. And so he's, he's saying, listen, this is what I'm going to go back to. I'm going to appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Back in verse 10, verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy in verse 13. I want you to see that what the psalmist is doing is he's holding on to something that is true about God from the past. And yet within this section, you can hear the tone and he's saying, God, this is what I want you to be like now for me. I know this is true of you in the past, but Lord, please act now like you once did. He's asking for God to show up in his circumstances and in his life and in his crisis and demonstrate the same power and authority and might as he knows that God is like. He asks for help. And in the last section of our laments, he chooses to trust. We see this from verse 16 down to verse 20. And in some ways this is an extension of the section that we have just read where, where Asaph looks back and says, God, I know the way that you've acted in the past and I really want you to show up and act like that now. And now he, he focuses in, he centres in on a, an amazing event that he knows, that, that he can recall and that he longingly looks back to. So let's read it together from verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up. The world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, many, many years later, when Israel had finally settled in the land, And they'd gone through great turmoil and great trouble, but they were finally there, established in that place. And yet, year after year, as they celebrated the Exodus, they would recall the mighty hand of God who brought them out of Egypt and brought them to this promised land. And part of that remembering was to recall that moment when they stood on that sea, And there on the beach, the water lay in front of them, the armies of Egypt coming down from behind them, no way forward, no way to return. And all they had to do was stand silent and watch God show up. They couldn't have foreseen the way that God did show up. Could you have? How would God get them out of this? How would God provide a way? How would God make escape for their dire situation? And he did it through a pathway that was already there. They just couldn't see it. Did you see that from verse 19? Have a look at it. Your way was through the sea. That was God's way. God had a way. He took them to that place. He said, go and camp there. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. But look what's there. Yet your footprints were unseen. Maybe like me, when I was growing up, my mother probably hung on the wall that um, little poem by the unknown author called Footprints. It's been special to a lot of people. Um, A lot of people have it maybe on stationery or on a Bible cover. It's one of those coffee cup, not a verse, but at least a, a little way to remember something about God. And we like to think of God in that way where we look at the beach, it says, and there was... God's footprints walking beside mine through the sands of time over my life. And uh, the poet looks back and sees that there are times of great distress and great dark and great hardship. And and there were only one set of footprints he noticed. And they call out to God and they say, God, why did you abandon me in my harshest times? And, And God responded to them by saying, my child, it was in those times that I carried you. And and that's a comfort, has been to me, it has been to many times to know that God carries us. But the reality is that there are so many times in life where we look, if we had the eyes to see that beach of the the sands of time, and we see no footprints. And yet, God says, the pathway is there. My my way went through the sea and, and my footprints were not seen. What do we do in those times? And this Psalm, Psalm 77 is teaching us. There are going to be times in your life where you stand like the Egyptians on that beach, standing before a great ocean with great threat behind you maybe, and you can't see a way forward. There are no footprints to follow. But right there, the psalmist says, is the place that I choose to trust this is the character of God. I'm going to bring up in my memory everything that I know about God when I can't see a way forward and I'm choosing to trust God, you are the same. You're the same God that said to Moses, stretch out your hand, I will make a way. You're the same God who brought the people out of slavery and into the promised land. You're the same God who raised up a shepherd to be a king. You're the same God who brought the people back from captivity and established them in their own land. You're the same God who sent Jesus in our greatest need, in the darkest of all places in humanity, where we could see how could we ever make a way back into relationship with God and God says, I will make a way. That's the same God that we serve and love Today. The same God that hears your prayers as you call with outstretched arms at night, saying, God, I know you hear me, but please respond, please act. And God is calling you through Psalm 77. He's calling all of us, hold on to what you know about me. I haven't changed. One of my favourite passages in the New Testament is found in Colossians chapter 2. And it's a picture of Jesus, this this amazing image of Jesus, the the glorious one. And yet, Paul, as he writes this letter to the church in Colossae, he reminds them of the time when Jesus faced his darkest hour. And as he did, all humanity looks at it and we face in him our darkest hour. So in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14... It describes what Jesus did at the cross. I mean, if you were there at the cross watching on, if you had dared to hope that Jesus may have been who he said he was, that he may have been the Messiah, the one sent by God, (coughs) if you had dared to hope that and then seen Jesus dying painfully on a cross on a dark Friday... Maybe it would have been a moment like that beach before the Red Sea. All our hopes have gone. There is no way forward. And yet, God was at work in that moment. His footprints may not have been able to be seen from that perspective. But as we look back on it, look at what God was doing. Colossians chapter 2, reading from verse 14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him, in Christ See, on the surface, it looked like that it was Jesus who was shamed. On the surface, it looked like that it was Jesus who was being cancelled. But that wasn't the case. The footprints were hard to see then. But God was making a way that in Christ, everything that seemed to be bad, everything that seemed to have been death and destruction, was now, in fact, life and liberty. Jesus was disarming and disgracing the enemies, those, those in darkness. He was triumphing over them. We hold on to what we know about God, the God who triumphs in surprising ways, the God who brings victory out of the jaws of defeat, it would seem. Psalm 77 and these other songs of lament that we've looked at so far in this series, they teach us that these hard days that we might live in, days of crisis, days of maybe abandonment and sorrow, they're days that we have to choose to trust the God we know, where we pause and yes, bring our complaint and bring our sorrow. It's okay. God wants to hear that. And yet in that moment, we say, God, this is who I know you to be. And I choose to trust. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you that in that moment that seemed like we should be despairing. He was, in fact, victorious. I thank you for the way that you brought your people out and you led them to the sea. You had a pathway. It just couldn't be seen. And Lord, for those of us that are going through great moments of crisis right now, whether that be in the circumstances of the world that we face in these hard days or a crisis within our family or our health where we feel like we're standing before an ocean and we can't see a way forward, we can't see a way to return, Lord, thank you that you are the God who never changes. The same yesterday, today and forever. And so we bring our sorrow to you. We bring our complaints to you. We ask you, Lord, help us hear our prayers, respond to us, lead us. But Lord, we hold your hand. We choose to trust you because you are the God that never changes and you will lead us through a path that we have not yet seen. Lord, we know it to be true because you have promised that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us and you will take us home to be with yourself and we look forward to that day. But be near to us, Lord, until then. In Jesus' name. Amen.